Thank you, my brother. It's so good to be back with uh, you folks. Um, several years ago, uh, I was here to do some training for uh, church leaders in the congregation. And uh, then uh, several months ago, the uh, marriage retreat we did over in uh, Gatlinburg. Probably uh, we had, what, 30 to 40 couples uh, that attended that. And in most of those sessions, um, uh, I was able to get through them okay, but there were a couple of those sessions where, uh, because of the makeup of the crowd, I, I lost control and they took, <laughs> they took over. But uh, Sue and I remember that as a, uh, as a fun time and a, and a good time for us as, as well as for you couples who uh, attended Thank the Lord for his presence today, right? We're living in a time when we need the presence of the Lord. A time of refreshing by the presence of his spirit. This morning, I want to do what the pastor asked um, back when we talked about... Uh, this morning's service in terms of a fundamental message that served as the foundation for that marriage retreat, but this message this morning actually serves as a foundational message for understanding our salvation experience, our discipleship experience, and our emotional life. Spirituality and emotionality are tied together. The Bible talks about this often in terms of one's heart. And this morning from Genesis chapter 2, I want to head in that direction and share with you a message that changed everything about me the first time I ever heard it. In fact, as I share with you this morning, you will probably go away with the understanding that what I want to share with you, you have read, some of you, many times because you've read the Bible through many times. The first time I heard this message, I, of course, was an ordained minister by then. I had pastored, evangelized. I at that point was working at our, uh, our international offices in Cleveland, Tennessee. And even though the foundational verses I had read, it was in the mountains of Breckenridge, Colorado, that the Spirit of God opened my heart and my mind to a fundamental principle of Scripture that somehow... I had either glossed over or it had never really come to light for me. And when it did, it changed the way I do ministry. It changed the way I am a husband and a parent and a grandparent. It changed the way I preach. It changed the way I do my counseling sessions. It changed the way I write my books. 
changed the way that I teach classes like we will be teaching Monday, Tuesday, uh, and Wednesday. Given the, the early part of this service, it strikes me by the Spirit that the message of those courses and the message I want to deposit in your heart by the Spirit of God it seems to me that in this room, God wants to enlighten and enliven and tear down some strongholds and clarify some positions we have in God simply because for many of us, we have never understood this fundamental message. Would it be okay if we went home differently than how we came? That's what I'm praying for and, and believing for. By the way, as it relates to healing, about five weeks ago after a doctor's visit, where they took some pictures, they found spots Essentially, the doctor said, we will just watch these spots for two or three months and see if there's any change. Fairly typical. But in the midst of waiting on the original spots, another doctor's appointment revealed after some ore pictures were taking new spots in a different location. And as you can imagine, the concern in our household rose given those two doctors' reports. In fact, this second set of spots raised such a concern with the doctors that they ordered more of an immediate follow-up so that a, a more sophisticated kind of testing could occur in order to try to determine exactly what was going on. Three Sunday mornings ago at the North Cleveland Church of God, Sue and I stood at the altar of God and I heard my pastor pray, Lord, do the kind of work that these spots disappear that they vanish. Less than a week later, radiology reports were read. The nurse left the room for 10 to 15 minutes. Finally, she returned and she said, You'll not be seeing the doctor today. And when we asked what that meant, she reported the spots that were there before are no longer there. You're clear. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For somebody in this room who needs a healing touch of the power of God, let it be this morning. Father, I thank you for your presence in this room. I thank you for your dealings with my heart over this service, over these past days. And I pray now that as I share simply and straightforwardly, that you would break open your word and help many of us in this room see that what has caused us confusion and despair, what has led us to wonder secretly if we were okay, what has, has at times caused us to doubt and to live dark nights of the soul, I pray in the next few minutes by the power of God and through the truth of your word, you would break through, set free, renew, and make us whole in Jesus' name. I believe you for this, and I thank you for it. And amen. Amen. Well, the story has it that even though it happened in the context of chaos and darkness, the story has it that after a few days, everything was good. On day one, the creator in the midst of chaos and darkness began to speak and the creation of day one he evaluated as good and on day two he spoke again and at the end of that day he evaluated that day's creation work and he pronounced that it is good. On days three, four, and five, each day he speaks to an element of nature, of, of his creation, of this universe. And at the end of those days, he evaluates that day's work, and again, on three, four, and five, it is good. said that he stooped to the earth and in the dust he drew a figure and he breathed into that figure the breath of life and that figure became a living soul and the creator called him man. 
Five days of wonderful creation, miraculous creation. Five days, it is good. On day six, he creates what one writer of the text describes as a creature made just a little lower than the angels. A creature, you and I, made in his image and in his likeness. But on day six, as he evaluates the creation of that man, Adam, on day six, the evaluation was, it is not good. I want you to get the words, it is not good. In Genesis 2.18, it is not good in a context where all else was good. It is not good in Genesis 2.18 and sin has not come yet. Something is not good and sin is not here yet. If your religious upbringing was anything like mine, I was raised on preaching and teaching that essentially carried the message that if something ever breaks loose in your life, if you will go find the sin, confess the sin, repent of the sin, everything will come back into order and everything will be good and right. And yet in this creation story, everything is good. Adam lives in a perfect environment. He has unlimited resources. He holds a position of power and authority and implied in Genesis chapter 3, he is in right relationship with his creator, and yet something is not good. Would you agree with me that even in good times, great times, wonderful times, if the creator says it is not good, then we have a problem. Sin is not here yet, and something is not good, even though the environment is good, the position is good, the resources are good and plentiful, the relationship with his creator is good and something is not good. It is essential that you get this. In Genesis 2.18, the word of the Lord, the creator, when he speaks again, Adam, it is not good. 
that you are alone. Another piece of my growing up experience in church, we used to sing, y'all probably did too, we used to sing a little chorus that simply says, He's all I need, He's all I need, Jesus is all I need. And what I came to learn once I got old enough to read this book and understand it, that if we sing that little chorus in terms of sin and salvation, it is absolutely true because there is given under heaven no other name whereby we can and must and shall be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he has come to save sinners, the word declares. But in terms of Genesis 2.18, that little course is not true. The implication of the creation of mankind, of Adam, is that Adam had a right relationship with his creator God and yet something was not good. It is essential that, that we capitalize on these benches at the front of this church, these altars, Many of us in this room, we were saved kneeling at these kinds of benches and found Jesus as our Savior there. But if your religious experience was anything like mine, as I grew and again became old enough to read and to study and reflect on own personal experience, there were times when even though I was genuinely saved, it was as if something was missing in my soul. If Jesus is all I need and I have Jesus, how can I live with the impression that somehow something is missing, that, that maybe I'm not good enough, that I don't measure up, that somehow I did not get all at the altar I should have gotten. My guess is that, that some of you like me can remember times in your growing up years after bowing at a bench like this, where you wondered, is there something else? How do I make sense of the fact that I can feel the presence of God so strongly in a gathering like this, and yet when we leave, there seems to be a hole in my heart? Creator gives us a hint of that experience in human life in 2.18 when he says to Adam, it's not good, Adam, that you are alone. 
So first of all today, I want you to notice in 2.18, God's declaration. In 2.18, it's not good that you are alone. Therefore, Adam, I will make for you. The declaration of the Creator exerting His Lordship over not only the natural creation in the universe, but as the special creation of mankind, it is this creator who declares that not only do I know how to make stuff out there, I know how to make stuff in here so that the not good is removed. Now what I just said is the good news is for all of us this morning is that we serve a God who when he sees a need in our life, his heart moves towards us, his presence comes near us, and his, de and his heart's desire is to do something about the need that he sees in us. John will talk about this in John chapter 2 and say that God knows all men. And in verse 25 of chapter 2, he says, and God knows what is in all men. This not good issue. In his declaration, he gives us a hint as to how to deal with what this verse speaks to in terms of aloneness or a sense of being unfinished. I will make for you, Adam, a helpmeet, a helper, a companion. The implication of Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 is that the very first purpose of marriage is that a husband and wife will become the primary removers of aloneness in each other's life in order that they both have ample opportunities to experience the abundant life Jesus came talking about. Secondly, in this Genesis 2 story, we not only hear God's declaration, but we begin to see God's design, the way that he has made us. And again, under his lordship, his design for us is that of relationship in, in verses 23 and 24. He has created us so that at some point in our life it will be normal and natural and expected for us to grow up, to leave mom and dad, and to cleave to that one he brings into our life. Relationship. Did you know did you know, Church of God ministers, every month we have to fill out a minister's report. And we have to report how many times we preached, how many visits we made, how many counseling sessions we conducted. 
We report how many got saved, how many got sanctified, how many got filled with the Holy Ghost, how many joined the church, how many, how many, how many, how many. And not once on that report does it ever ask, how many people are you discipling? That is to say that in our culture, our our religious culture, there has historically been an emphasis on numbers of people getting saved, but little, little emphasis on those who have been converted being transformed into disciples of the Jesus who saved them. Therein becomes one of the essential elements that we must understand clearly today that God does not save us and leave us. He saves us in order to join us to himself and to significant others in order that we can be transformed and transitioned into true followers of Jesus. His design for us is that of of relationship. Relationship. Relationship of husband and wife. Relationship of parent-child. Relationship of that of brothers and sisters. Relationship. A sense of being connected. A sense of belonging one to the other. And when there is an absence of a sense of being attached to significant others in our life, we can say to that degree, we are alone. The Creator summarizes and evaluates that when that is the case in our life, it is not good. The third thing we see in this creation story in verse 25 is that out of the Lord's declaration of providing a helper, a helpmeet, a companion so that they can live in in the godly design of relationship so that they become a one flesh union Verse 25 suggests to us that that it is God's desire that his design mature so that we live in a relationship of companionship. Companionship. After having spent more than 22,000 hours as a professional therapist. I have had my feel of sitting with both non-believers and believers, married couples, who had some semblance of a relationship but lacked severely in that relationship providing Companionship. 
through these three or four decades of being a minister and having been afforded the opportunity to travel the world and preach in a lot of different places and conduct revivals and teachings, it, it brings me no pleasure to say that, that often within congregational life, there is a large gap between knowing somebody's name and really knowing others in a deep kind of way where that we have a sense of companionship. Think about this issue of companionship in, in terms of our children. What does it mean that a teenager is, becomes a runaway? What does it mean when the research suggests to us that, that kids today can spend three and four and five and eight hours a day on gadgets from which they have a sense of being related and journeyed with while at the same time, there is a huge gap in relationships with their own parents. It was the Lord's heart to declare that not only do I see the need, I will do something about it. It was the Lord's design that he created us as relational creatures. It is his heart's desire that those relationships take on a sense of connection and belonging and attachment so that we are companions one with another as we do our journey on life. What I'm suggesting to you today is that when this issue of aloneness is not adequately understood and met, the pain of a lack of vibrant relationship, a, a lack of, of, com, of companionship, starves the emotional heart in such a way that we will be drawn to whatever we can see or hear or touch that communicates to us that if I can simply have that or it or him or her, that I will be made whole. And yet chapter 3 of Genesis suggests to us that often when we live lives of aloneness, we will reach far and take in elements of life that result in taking us deeper in our fallenness and sin that we read of in Genesis chapter 3 rather than making us whole.
The second purpose of marriage then is that as husband and wife go deep in their knowing of each other so that they can go deep in their caring of each other, as they learn what it means to have an emotional heart and the needs of that emotional heart and meet those needs in each other's life, that we simply are becoming a spiritual protector in his or her life in order that the pull of temptation, the pull, the hunger for something outside ourselves is lessened so that we are spiritually protected in ways that we are not protected if aloneness goes untended. What is it that really leads to alcoholism? To drug addiction? To pornography use? What is it that really leads to the taking of someone else's property? The Genesis story of all places teaches us that at the root of all of that is an issue of aloneness. And while we may have a vibrant relationship with our Creator God, it is absolutely mandatory that we have vibrant relationships within our homes, within our marriages, and within our churches. In fact, the creation story teaches us that God instituted three institutions in order that we not be alone. In Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, it is marriage. In Genesis chapter 4, it is the family. In Genesis chapter 6 and throughout the Old Testament, the emphasis is on households. What Jesus will come along later in Matthew 16 and talk about in terms of the church so that marriage, family, and the church become the safety net whereby believers in Jesus can find ways of meaningful relating in order that needs of the heart are sufficiently met, which means the removal of our aloneness. Marriage, family, the church are the fundamental relationships through which aloneness is ministered to. Aloneness is removed when we know one another deeply so that we can care for one another deeply. The ministry of caring removes aloneness and demonstrates the heart of the Lord for every person. Such ministry creates a yearning and an openness to the God who created us. Thus, one of the implications of Genesis chapter 2.18 is a relational evangelism through the ministry of care so that, so that as we share this Jesus, 
We are not sharing in order to be able to add another number to a ministry report. We are sharing in such a way that we are joining that person in a committed relationship that has the power to remove the aloneness of Genesis 2.18. Yesterday in thinking about this, I felt especially moved by the Spirit of God that in this room this morning, There might be souls who at one time or another bowed at a bench like this and honestly, genuinely gave their life to Jesus. But who, because of a lack of understanding of Genesis 2.18 and the aloneness issue, never found vibrant connection within the family. Some who bowed at a bench like this and went home to a spouse who was an unbeliever and had no interest in that religious stuff. Some children and teenagers who bowed at a bench like this and went home to mothers and fathers who had no understanding of what I'm talking about today. And begin to experience doubt about their own relationship. Confusion as to whether or not they had really received the real thing. Concern that somehow they had prayed the right prayer. They had shed their tears. They had begged God to do a work in their life. And yet something did not take for them. The word of the Lord to us this morning is this. Especially to those of us who may be in this room who after experienced a genuine salvation experience found their Christianity to be lacking in ways that led to doubt that led to searching, that led to behaviors this book speaks against, that led to other relationships, sometimes that broke a marriage, that sometimes divided a family, that, that sometimes separated a congregation. Word of the Lord today is it is good to be saved and it is good to be related to in such a way that the needs of our emotional heart are dealt with and ministered to sufficiently in order that we honestly can experience 
new life, abundant life. I'll not spend much time there, but when you look closely at Genesis chapter 3, down there around verse 5 or 6, Eve saw the fruit. Eve was attracted to the fruit. Eve partook of the fruit. All the while living in a good creation. And yet she reached for what seemed would make her complete. And it led to her destruction and that of her husband once he partook. It's not good to be alone. I don't know if I should share this or not, but I will. Early in our ministry, marriage and ministry, Sue and I uh, started a church down in Central Florida. After a few years, we moved, went to our second church, and within weeks of being at that second church, I made an appointment with the psychology department at the University of South Florida in Tampa. And when I sat with a PhD candidate student and she asked, why are you here? I answered, I need to know if I'm okay. Did, did, are, are you getting this? This is a boy who was saved in sawdust under a big top tent. This is a boy who prayed through through the Holy Ghost at an old-fashioned altar just like that. This is a boy who felt the call of God to preach and got credentialed in the church of God. And after years of evangelizing, after years of digging out a church, now at a second pastorate, the ache of my heart, even though I was genuinely saved, was, am I okay? Well, the only way she knew to respond to that was to give me some psychological inventories, which I took, and the report was, yes, you're okay. You're okay. Everything's fine. You are okay according to these tests you have taken. But did you know it was not until, a, until several years later 
in a marriage conference. When I heard the teaching of Genesis chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit finally helped me understood what was the genesis of my question. Am I okay? Because at that point, there were no close, significant people in my life, even though I led a congregation. I want somebody in this room to hear today that your wonderings, your questions, your heartfelt plea for something more. The Creator speaks to in Genesis 2.18 and it's called aloneness. And when our aloneness is removed spiritually through confession and repentance of sin and emotionally through deep caring relationships, we then have a sense of being complete so that we can live abundant life. And it seems to me that in this room today, God wants to do a breakthrough work for some of us, maybe for many of us. So that we leave this room differently than how we came. Now, So, so let, me, let, me, let me boil this way down. I'm not talking now about trickery or manipulation. I'm not talking about psychology and counseling. I'm not even using big theological terms that, that we sometimes get bombarded by. I'm, I'm simply saying it plainly and simply. The creation story teaches us that we need God for our fallenness and we need significant others for our aloneness. Would it be okay if God saved some of us in this room for the very first time this morning and for others that he would do a reclaiming work now that we understand the connection between fallenness and aloneness. Would it be okay if God would so cover this congregation that our ministry began to see people not just fallen in sin, but aloneness in aloneness. 
so that we can pray them through to salvation and love them through to Christian formation. Would that be okay? Father, for a sermon, I know this is a little out of the ordinary. And yet I know what you've laid upon my heart and upon this pastor's heart. And I know the efficacy of your word that it will not return void for those who are willing to submit to it and act upon it. So I ask you today in Jesus' name, save the sinner, gather up those who feel alone, and place them within this body in such a way that at least a few others will take them in and nourish their hearts to wholeness. I ask you this in Jesus' name. As you're seated right where you are, no one moving about, please. you'd say, Brother John, I'm one of those today who need Jesus as a Savior first. I'm one of those who is searching, searching here and there, nothing satisfied, but I need Jesus as a Savior in my life first this morning. Would you just slip your hand up? Just put it up and back down. You want to be saved. You need to be saved. There's sin in your life that you need to be forgiven of. Yes. Secondly, in this congregation, you would say, Brother John, I'm one of those who know the Lord. I do my best to live for the Lord. And, <clears throat> and yet I feel undone, empty, searching, confounded. And I believe the Lord is helping me understand this issue of aloneness today. And so pray for me concerning my aloneness issue. Would you just slip your hand up and write back down? Yes. Number of hands. Yes. Father, I ask you simply for the sinner who prays I have sinned I'm sorry for my sin forgive me of my sin and make me a child of God for that one who prays that prayer in this room today honor their prayer with a renewal of life in their soul. 
and for quite a few others who lifted their hands as it relates to aloneness. As they, in the quietness of where they sit, whisper a prayer. Send into my life, Lord, at least a few others that I can allow to know me deeply so that they can care for me deeply, so that my aloneness is removed. I pray that you do that work. But I also pray today for this church, for this congregation, as this pastor leads this congregation in a way that takes seriously both sin and aloneness, that by your Spirit you will teach us how to, to be removers of aloneness in order that we all may thrive and find our place within the family of God. I pray for that kind of transforming work in this congregation. And so I pray now, Lord, that as we gather Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights under the theme of parenting, that you would help me help parents understand how to do this kind of ministry in the lives of their children. I pray for a revival among our families, a restoration of homes. I pray this, and by faith I thank you for this. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. What a powerful word. Come on. I know as a, a pastor, and I can identify, and I'm sure Brother McGarity feels the same way, that, that sometimes we're surrounded by people but yet we're alone. And it's a struggle because you want to get to know everybody and you want to spend time with everyone. Matt, you know what that's like too. But yet, sometimes you don't have the time to spend. That's why I love the events of fellowship, to be able to come together, to be able to walk around and hear your story, talk to you, uh, listen to what's going on. I, I've been driving the Mana van on Mondays and I've had the privilege of having different ones ride with me over the last few weeks and to hear their story. It just resonates. It, it, it's encouraging. And, and my question is, is, are you okay? If you look around this room, I mean, I know that there. I know that we have our, our circles of friends. I know we have our, our family that we're connected to, but do you know the people around you? Do you know what they're going through? Do you know the struggles they face? 
Because when we know people intimately, we're able to not only be cared for, but we are to care for. And we're able to help one another. And I really appreciate that word because I believe in CR, we call it sponsorship. We have sponsors that, that uh, reach out and help others through their journey. We have accountability partners, which we connect with to make sure that we communicate with on a, a weekly basis to, to, to check on us, to see how we're doing. Can you imagine if a church had sponsors and accountability partners? Can you imagine if we had three or four people on our, our speed dial that when we're struggling that we called? It's a question. Do you have that? Do you have that relationship? Are you reaching out? I'm happy to be some of your speed dial <laughs> people, and I'm thankful for that. But make sure that you recognize that we need each other. Amen? We need each other. What a great word, doctor. I, I guess I should call you. Hugh tells me to call him Hugh. I should call you John because you told me to call you John. But uh, I really appreciate you guys. Uh, powerful word. Hey, listen, guys. It's going to be a great afternoon. As you can see, we're already prepared for Camp Wilderness. Um, I appreciate Candy and Gene and Billy and Paige and, and their kids for coming in and helping decorate yesterday, uh, getting it ready. Uh, right after this service, we're going to ask as many of you who can could stack chairs. If we could stack uh, to stacks of five We'll roll them out of here, and we'll have this whole uh, sanctuary set up for Camp Wilderness this week. Uh, looking forward to all these kids coming in and being able to disciple our young people, as well as the parenting class. The parenting class, if you're coming Monday through Wednesday, will be in our children's room. My left, your right, at the back of this room, there's a door, and right across the hall, there, they'll be meeting. Uh, there'll be food for... Um, those who are joining. From my understanding, I've heard there's Jimmy John's, there's like Chick-fil-A, the, you know, God's Chicken, and something else um, for the parenting class. And so I hope that you have signed up. If you haven't, um, you can still sign up for the parenting class. Uh, would love to have love to have you be here this afternoon. It's just going to be a fun time. Um, Ray Keeble, raise your hand, Ray. Ray is going to be in charge of the hayride. And so those of you who need to get a good, you know, snotty nose and hay fever, we can get on the hayride. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Anyway, no. Come out. Let's have a good time. Let's, let's, let's do what, what he's talking about. Let's connect in a real way this evening. Amen. Amen. Father, I just thank you so much for this word. Thank you, God. Lord, that you have made a way for us to find relationship, intimacy. Lord, that you've made a way that we don't have to strive for uh, fulfilling the flesh. But Lord, in our relationships, you've made a way that we can find peace and hope, care and compassion. And I pray, Lord, that today, Lord, this message will be something that we put in the crock pot of our soul. And we allow this to simmer in us, that, that we don't just blow past this message so quickly, but we allow this message to really simmer in our hearts, to know you, 
to know one another, to live for you, to live for one another, showing your love in such a powerful way. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Matt, if you will, um, would you come here? They had, to, they had to rush Elizabeth, his daughter, to the emergency room. She's been, she's what, 17? 16. And she's been having some uh, heart uh, issues. Uh, her heart's been running away uh, as far as fast beats and stuff. But we know God's a healer, right? And I want us to pray for him. Father, I just thank you, Jesus. Lord, that you are our King of kings and Lord of lords. God, we heard a testimony at the beginning of this service. Lord, not only of how Ken has been healed of this issue, but God, how uh, Dr. Vining has been healed of the, of the spots that were seen. And Lord, I pray that you'll work in such a way, God, that her heart will be healed. Whatever the root of this is, in Jesus' name, I pray healing over her body, healing over her life, Father. God, I pray for this family, for Matt, Lord, and Rasandra, God, that you'll bring healing in their bodies, God, that you'll renew their strength, that you'll help their eyes to be on you, Lord, to know that you are here with them, God, that you have not left them alone, but, God, you're with them and will be with them until the end. God, we give you praise and glory for what you're doing even right now as we pray, as we speak, God. You're not a God that's just here, but you're there even right now, and we ask your hand to be on her in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Once again, if you don't mind, if you, if you are able-bodied and can help us stack a few chairs, we'd really appreciate it. We'll stack them in stacks of five.